The Culture Guy Podcast, Episode 10. Welcome back, everybody. 10th episode, the second one in April of 2016. And we've got some exciting news for you. Well, I have exciting news. Welcome everybody, episode 10, Culture Guide Podcast. I just want to say your response to our last episode with Kyle Haggerty was overwhelming. It was great. People really resonated with his experience and his insight from the APAC region. Um, and we'll have him back on this program. So just hang tight on a future episode. We'll talk more with Kyle. And today we have another guest from the United States who still lives stateside. And we'll, we'll talk to him in just a second. But let me share my excitement with you. I had the pleasure of working with uh, communication experts not too long ago, Mr. Joel Roberts, who used to be a number one talk show host in Los Angeles, and he worked with me to produce videos for our company's website. The company's called The Culture Mastery. I encourage you to check it out, theculturemastery.com, and on the blog section, you'll see the result of the first work we did together. It's a six-minute interview with Joel that explains basically what we do and how we help companies and their employees to be more successful when they work across cultures. So I'm, I'm really psyched about the result. Some of you may have already seen it. I've posted it on our Facebook page, the Culture Guy Facebook page. Also shared it on Twitter and LinkedIn. So it's been out there in the social media realm. If you haven't seen it yet, go do me a favor, check it out. Um, feel free to comment on it and maybe make some suggestions. Now, today we have with us another expert in this field of crossing cultures. His name is Joe Lurie, and he recently wrote a book that I would encourage you all to read, and he will share some of the stories that are in the book today on our talk. So let's not waste much time. Joe Lurie is here with us today. So I have here with me today Joe Lurie, author of Perception and Deception, a mind-opening journey across cultures. The book was released not too long ago. And Joe Lurie is also a um, executive director emeritus of the University of California, Berkeley's International House. And he is a former Peace Corps volunteer in Kenya. So the man has seen the world quite a bit. And I'm excited to have him on the Culture Guy podcast today. Joe, thank you for being available and thank you for talking to our audience with me. A pleasure to be with you, Christian. Joe, the, the book just came out, um, Perception, Deception. Um, the uh, feedback from the professionals has been good so far, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I've been quite pleased with it. Um, 
the reviews on Amazon have been almost consistently excellent. Um, and my colleagues and friends who've, who've known me over the years have, have even said, gee, I didn't even know that uh, you had such a store of, uh, of lore, cross-cultural lore within you. And uh, quite frankly, Christian, I probably had enough to write a book four times as long, but was cognizant of the fact that in today's culture, people's attention span is such that it would not have been wise to have written a four to six hundred page book. So I tried to, to write the book in a way that stories were crisp, uh, short, and hopefully meaningful in a way that would help people when they cross cultures. Nice. And the, the title is really um, The Agenda for for most cross-cultural interaction we we can easily be deceived by what we perceive um you, you in in the in the um, preface to your book you give a nice example of westerners first arriving or europeans first arriving in africa and the the african uh, cultures experiencing or witnessing the europeans drinking wine which they mistook as blood and they were wondering what were they drinking, um, and which which cows did that kind of blood come from? So, the, the deception that we uh, experience in our Stone Age brains by the things that we perceive, how can we, how can we intelligently in the twenty first century keep apart what we think we experience and what is really behind the experience? Ah, uh, that is a really enormous question. Um, and the answer to it, I think, is to be aware that all of us, no matter how well-traveled, how well-read, uh, are prisoners of our own culture and our own experience. There is, I, I cite a, a, um, an excerpt from a Chinese poem in the book, which refers to um, uh, a pond. And uh, this, the poem goes this way, how shall I explain the sea to a frog which has never left its pond. Mm. Well, I submit that we all have ponds. Oh, and yes. once we recognize that our ponds, ipso facto, no matter how big, are still ponds and are limiting, we become aware of the fact that, you know, I've just seen something that I may not understand. Let me illustrate this uh, with a very simple uh, story, if I may, from yes. our own culture. Um, I remember uh, meeting a colleague uh, in New York City uh, who had a three-year-old child and we were discussing how people often don't perceive things correctly because of the limitations of their experience mm -hmm. and she brought her three-year-old child to Central Park and the child saw some birds and the child said to her mother mommy where are the birds cages mm. so the child's reality was the child's reality or pond in effect was she had only seen birds in the house with cages mm -hmm. they had birds in the house so the notion of seeing birds free nice. was particularly strange to her and her reality basically prevented her from seeing another reality mm -hmm. so in the same way um, when I first went to Africa uh, with the Peace Corps um, when I got off the plane en route to Nairobi in Entebbe Airport in Uganda, it was about two in the morning, and I perceived the air to be heavy, the air smelled different, 
I experienced it differently, and I remember saying to one of my Peace Corps uh, colleagues at the time, ha, don't you smell lions? <laughs> well, I discovered later that there were no lions within 30 miles of the Entebbe Airport. <laughs> That's, which is good, right? <laughs> exactly, and so the reason that my perception, my senses, suggested lions was because of uh, the monodimensional, frequently monodimensional way in which most people, certainly uh, in my part of the world, and I suspect in many other parts of the world, see Africa, dominated by images of animals uh, that get a disproportionate, um, a disproportionate attention uh, with regard to what else is going on in Africa, how many languages are spoken there, what, what kinds of industries are in Africa, etc., etc. So, you know, that was kind of the beginning uh, of my discovery of the limitations of my pond, that my own senses, my own sensibilities were shaped and determined by the limitations of my own experience and the stereotypes about Africa that unfortunately persist to this day. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the Peace Corps and a lot of uh, experienced cross-culturalists um, have at some point in their lives or careers had um, a connection with the Peace Corps. While I myself uh, have to admit, um, I didn't have the opportunity, but it seems that the Peace Corps, for, for many uh, people in our profession, has kind of been the, the foundational piece that got the uh, North American monocultural minds opened up to the possibilities of a global economy and a global world. How, how would you how would you describe your experience with the Peace Corps and and what does it mean today? Well, my experience with the Peace Corps was so uh, initially dramatic because everything I was seeing and experiencing, or almost everything I was seeing and experiencing, basically was misunderstood initially because again I was limited by my own experience and the stereotypes that I had about Africa. Um, and you know, too often we refer to Africa, not we, but many people, unfortunately, I still hear it on the UC Berkeley campus, uh, strikingly, that some people will say, oh, Africa, what an interesting country, or mm. do you speak African? Mm -hmm. uh, not understanding that there are almost 3,000 languages, not dialects, but languages, distinct languages in Africa. So um, to give you a sense, uh, because it's a long story, just to give you a little glimpse beyond the smelling, the, the illusion of smelling lions, <laughs> let me tell you that um, when my f first two experiences, which kind of stand out uh, dramatically, was number one, uh, when I was uh, in Kenya, we continued uh, our studies of Swahili. And I remember in one of the early lessons, a, my Swahili instructor came up to me at, after class and we started a conversation and he, and he and during the conversation he was holding my hand. So, um, you know, most of us, at least in the Western world, for the most part, who are heterosexual and yet not used to, and even homosexual, and not used to a man coming up to them and, and during a conversation, somebody you don't know holding your hand. Yes. Well, you know, in this case uh, of heterosexual background, I was you know, quite uncomfortable with this man continuing to hold my hand for up to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at this through the prism again of my limited experience. Little did I know at that time that I would say in most parts of Africa, it is very common for men to hold hands and it has no sexual 
uh, significance for the most part in the vast majority of cases. That is not to say, of course, that there aren't gay people in Africa. Of course there are. There are gay people everywhere. Mm -hmm. But the, the, this, the significance of this slowly dawned on me, and of course it was not easy for me to be approached by men uh, with whom I had friendly relations and have them hold my hand. But gradually, I would say over three months, Christian, um, I started to feel comfortable with this and was then comfortable walking down the street, walking down the roads with my African friends and colleagues, holding their hands. So comfortable did I become that when I came back to the United States, quite frankly, I didn't know what to do with my hand. <laughs> Interesting. So the second, uh, the second if you, if, uh, I can go on a little bit, or if you want to pursue, move on to another subject, that's no, fine. No, I, I, I like this example because it reminds me of something that one of my mentors taught me, um, and uh, this, this sentence resonates with me, uh, f has been resonating with me for years now. Nothing has meaning unless the meaning that we give it. So holding hands with a man, you gave, you chose to give it some meaning, the meaning you had brought with you from North America, and it had a totally different meaning in a different context. So um, our, our brains are, are meaning-making machines, so it, it, it's, it's not always easy to, to recalibrate the machinery to fit a different environment, right? Right, and, and I mean, just to enlarge that uh, uh, point, then, of course, I learned that it's very common for men to hold hands in the Middle East. Yes. It's common for parts, for in parts of Asia, for men mm. to be holding hands. Uh, and so, you, if you reverse it and you think that, uh, for example, I have a Nigerian friend who, when he first came to San Francisco, was walking in the Castro, which is a gay neighborhood in mm -hmm. San Francisco, yep. with a Nigerian friend of his, and they were holding hands. And of course, their behavior was totally misinterpreted. <laughs> so it goes the other way. Yes. And, and and maybe these Nigerian friends were a little uncomfortable with the the meaning that they encountered in the Castro district. Well, indeed. Yes. Indeed, absolutely. Yes. Well, but you were you were already alluding to another example that you had with, through the Peace Corps. Yeah. Again, you know, when I arrived in Kenya, um, one of the stereotypes that w that one frequently hears about life in Africa, generally speaking, is that Africans are extremely hospitable. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, I found that on the whole, that was quite true. Extremely hospitable. It's, a, it's part and parcel of so many of the cultures that I encountered in Kenya and Tanzania and Uganda and Ghana and Mali and Ivory Coast. Hospitality. And then, I, of course, I, I began to see how important it was in other cultures beyond Africa. But given the fact that my conception of hospitality was different. When I arrived in my little village, um, about 100 miles north of Nairobi, it was my expectation that the teachers at the school where I was uh, to be an instructor would invite me to their homes. Mm -hmm. Because here, uh, it's not uncommon that if somebody moves in as a neighbor on our block, uh, we would welcome them, invite them over uh, for a snack, for a meal, whatever, as a, as a gesture of welcome. So I, was, I began to wonder why I, has no one ever invited me over as a welcoming gesture. And then I began to imagine all of these things were based on my cultural pond. Well, maybe they feel uncomfortable having a white person over because it was only three or four years after a fairly bloody revolution against uh, British colonialism. Mm -hmm. 
or maybe uh, because they think all Americans mistakenly are rich, as we all know, this is a, a big fallacy. <laughs> uh, that uh, you know, they were ashamed to have me over to a relatively modest home. Mm -hmm. So I began to imagine all of these things, and to make a long story short, Christian, uh, I decided to invite three of my Kenyan colleagues at the school to my house. We had a lovely evening together. We we ate, we drank, we exchanged stories we, about life in Kenya, life in the United States as, as uh, respectfully experienced. And then the next day, or the next day or two, you know, it, it was my expectation. I expect that you and your listeners would say, well, it was a nice evening. How come they haven't invited me back? Yes. So again, what is the, the cultural narrative is I must have said something that was offensive, right? Well, they didn't invite me back uh, for weeks, months. And after three months, you know, I was really afraid to ask them because I thought that I must have said something terrible. Or that, again, they were a little bit embarrassed about bringing me to their homes. So one night uh, in a local bar, we were socializing and we had all been lubricated a little bit with the local <laughs> uh, hops. hops, And... Um, so I finally, you know, built up the courage to say, uh, did you have a good time, you know, when we all had dinner together at my home, uh, you know, a couple of months ago? Oh, yes, Joe, that was a lovely evening. It was terrific, etc. We ought to do that again. <laughs> no invitation. So I said, well, how come you haven't, may I ask, I hope I'm not offending you, but how come you have never invited me to your homes? Mm -hmm. And they looked at me in disbelief. And they said, well, you know, we don't invite people because the door is always open. So invitations, in effect, are superfluous. What's the point of inviting someone when, if you come to my house, of course I'm going to open the door. And not only will I open the door, I will begin to feed you. So now you, this began you were basically waiting for something to happen while they were waiting for you to just show up. Exactly. Nice. You call it. This is cross-cultural miscommunication. Now that's a perfect example, Joe. Be, before I, before I let you go, we, I, I want to say I'm, we must have you back soon. Um, but before I let you go, um, what would be one nugget of wisdom that you would give to first-time visitors to Africa? Granted, Africa is not a country; it is a continent, and let's just limit it to to Central East Africa, which we have been talking about now. So, what would be one nugget of advice you would give to a first-time business traveler to East Africa? Ah, uh, you mean for the sake, in order to facilitate understanding, to facilitate adjustment, that kind of thing. Yes, and, and to 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 avoid to avoid the big no-nos. Well, one, you know, I think the, at the very beginning, it would be helpful to talk to people from that part of the world before you go there, mm -hmm. and ask them from their perspective, what is it that many people who come to their part of the world misperceive when they first get there. In other words, to get their perspective before you even go there. Nice. And that the second, the, the second part of that, Christian, that I would recommend is to ask people from that part of the world or any part of the world where you are going for the first time to ask them their impressions of your country. Mm -hmm. Because in the process, 
frequently they will tell you things about your country that you will not have seen or understood yourself. And just to close out this piece of advice, when I ask immigrants, students, people in my cross-cultural training classes uh, to go out into the community when they've recently arrived and tell me what they have seen that is different, strange, something that they would never have seen in their countries, many of them have said to me, you know, Joe, in our countries, whether it's East Africa, most parts of Asia, parts of Latin America, we have never seen people walking alone, eating alone, sitting alone, going to the movies alone. Now, coming from an individualistic world, this is something that many of us prize, that ability to be alone. Mm -hmm. But when somebody from a more group-oriented society tells this to us, it alerts us to the fact that when we go to their part of the world, our notions of privacy no longer hold. Yes. That is beautiful. Joe, thank, thank you for, for this, uh, for this uh, very, very uh, um, colorful uh, explanation or, or insight into your experiences in Africa. As I said, we will have you back on. For now, we need to come to a close. Um, Perception and Deception is the title of your book, Joe Lurie, A Mind-Opening Journey Across Cultures. You can get it on Amazon and on other outlets on the web and I'm sure in a bookstore near you at least in those areas where they still have bookstores in North America um, <laughs> Joe thank you for your time and I look forward to continuing our conversation soon I do as well thank you for having me Christian it was a pleasure Joe Lurie author of Perception and Deception The book is called A Mind-Opening Journey Across Cultures, and you need to take a look at the cover of the book. It's kind of hilarious, but it is also instructive. On the cover of the book, you see the head of a cow, and it looks like the cow is asking you, what am I? Am I divine? Am I a dowry, perhaps? Or am I dinner? So, what we perceive and what is reality and how reality and our perception can be deceiving. That's what Joe Lurie's book is about and the man has so much experience on the continent of Africa. We will have him back. I've already scheduled another appointment with him. So watch this space. We'll be able to learn a little more from him soon. And now um, go back to the blog where you find the show notes of this episode. You will see the links to Amazon and to Joe's social media profiles if you want to interact with him. And also I would encourage you to visit our Facebook page, The Culture Guy. You can also visit our homepage, which is full of resources for you, theculturemastery.com. Check out the blog section um, to watch the video that I mentioned in the beginning. And I also forgot to mention that um, I had the pleasure of being asked to give an interview for a German publication. As most of you know, I'm German of... Uh, by birth, so to say, German by birth, Bavarian at heart, and American by choice. And I had the pleasure of giving an interview to the publication Netzwirtschaft. 
which loosely translates to online business. And I had the pleasure of explaining our business model and the work we do in the cross-cultural field for a German-speaking audience. So for those of you who read and understand German, this might be interesting for you because I'm talking about a superpower that we all need in crossing culture successfully. Um, the same topic I'm Uh, addressing on the video that I mentioned earlier. So we may make this a topic on this program soon. The one superpower you need to cross cultures successfully. So for now, this was episode 10. Hope to hear you back soon. Check us out online, theculturemastery.com, on Facebook, The Culture Guy. On Twitter, you can find me personally with the Hashed, uh, with the at sign Höferle, H-O-E-F-E-R-L-E. You can also use the company Twitter handle, which is at Culture Mastery. And of course, we're on LinkedIn and on Google Plus, and you'll you get the picture. You'll find us. Uh, hope to uh, make sure I'm hoping I, I'm, I'm expecting you to be back on the next episode and in the meantime trust your process people trust that crossing cultures will work out for you and if you have suggestions ideas for who should be on this program and what our next topic should be shoot me an email leave comments online and we'll make sure to respond to your wishes in due time thank you Talk to you next time.